You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. And now, on Mackie and Judd, it's another edition of Timberwolves Drama. Jimmy Butler is seriously contemplating his future with the Timberwolves franchise. It's going to come to a head this week. He's meeting with President and Coach Tom Thibodeau. It's going to come to a head. There's been a lot of tension brewing behind the scenes between players, between management, him. And there's been a lot of uncertainty around Jimmy Butler all summer. He hasn't been back to Minnesota. Very much so, I'm told, this is a last-ditch meeting for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau. Just a, a lot of butting of heads behind the scenes. And Tom Thibodeau has been in, caught, caught kind of in the middle of all that. Um, but you're saying Butler with his teammates. Butler and his teammates. Okay, exactly. not Tibbs and his t- and the players. Well, I think there's there's been a lot of you know I think even that relationship can be fickle. You know, okay. Tom Thibodeau yeah. is a hard charging coach, right, right. and that can rub guys the wrong and way. And that explains why he's bringing all these former Bulls guys who did follow into right. his system. Guys that can help set gotcha. his culture. Carl Anthony Towns, who's one of the top talents in the league, has yet to sign his rookie max extension, which should be a no-brainer. Sure. And I'm told there won't be any decision on that until this Jimmy Butler situation resolves itself. Already. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, what's going on? Hi, Phil. Just another day in paradise if you're the Timberwolves. Yeah, that was a young ace NBA insider. Is it pronounced Shams Karania? Sharnia. Sharnia. Yeah. Sharnia. One of those names you see in print all the time but don't hear very often. Uh, question for you, because I knew you guys dove into this last hour. Is there any other outcome here? Maybe not tomorrow, but like if you look six months down the road, is there any other outcome here other than these three prongs? Carl Anthony Towns stays long term because even if you're Glenn Taylor and you're a bad owner, you'd have to be an absolute bumbling buffoon to not make sure that happens for the next 10 years, right? We, we agree on that, yes. Uh, Jimmy Butler is traded and Tom Thibodeau is fired. Like, is there any path to any other outcomes other than those three things? Because well, I don't think there is. Don't forget behind, if so if you go down that path, behind door n- number two is you also don't get nearly as much as you would hope for Butler because he's told you he wants a trade, and the Butler camp's going to leak that, that out quickly because they leak everything out quickly. You could still get something for him if four teams wanted him right now, though. Like if if it's more, it would be more about right. oh the Knicks and the Lakers and the Nets want him right, but he's also going to be in the last year of his contract. So unless he's going to sign an extension, I'm going to tell you that if I'm the Lakers, I will just patiently wait. Well, put it this way: we could actually. I have a list here if we want to get into it at some point, whether sure. it's today or tomorrow. Hoopshype.com has five potential trades already lined up for Jimmy Butler. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> you want to do it right now? Yeah, let's yes. do it. All Go right, all right, it. all right, definitely. Uh, so this is Hoopshype.com. And and I want to preface this by saying the world knew that Paul George was going to be traded. The Pacers were going to trade Paul George. He made it very clear. And they still they upgraded their team. They got Victor Oladipo and was it the uh, Sabonis' kid, right? They mm-hmm. got Arvidas Sabonis' kid. So just because there's one year left, it's not quite like baseball where, oh, well, everyone knows he's going to be gone, so you're going to get a B-level prospect. And, you could still get a really good – you could still get a, a Kuzma-type player yeah. for Jimmy Butler. Except one quick question. Who the heck is going to make this savvy trade? Well, here are five teams. 
No, I'm saying oh, for oh, the Wolves. Oh. So yeah. if you're the Wolves, <laughs> is Tibbs really going to be like, oh, I got to work these deals or who knows? Don't get bogged in the details here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the question you're asking is, would Tom Thibodeau ever bring himself to trade Jimmy Butler? Don't you think he would shop Carl Anthony Towns hard before he shops That's Butler? What, and then in which case, Glenn Taylor would have to come back in and say, uh, That's when you no. need Glenn to swoop in and say, uh, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. So here are the five potential <laughs> trades according to HoopsHype.com. This is not a report. This is just speculation just to, to stay on brand here. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. With no regard for human life. It starts, it starts kind of lukewarm, and then it heats up as you go through the list. Okay. So the Nets could offer a package featuring the Denver Nuggets top 12 protected 2019 first-round pick, as well as defensive-minded wing Rondé Hollins-Jefferson. I feel like you're, com- just, you're just combining cast-off Wolves big men into one hyphenated last name there. Rondé yeah. Hollins-Jefferson. Uh, Arizona kid, yeah. Who's still on his rookie scale contract for another year. And then just to make the salaries work, uh, Brooklyn could include 3 and D specialist Damari Carroll. He's 32, 33 years old. All right. Yep. That's not very appealing. Mm-mm. That's a no. Number two, as far as what the Knicks could offer Minnesota for Jimmy Butler, a package centered around one of their first-round picks, unprotected, could get things started. It wouldn't be cheap, but New York's ability to attract free agents could be greatly buoyed by landing a proven stud. So no matter the price, Butler would be worth it for them just to just to get him in the door. All right. I don't know. Like First-round pick. Be nice to know who and where they're picking and all those things, but so it's unappealing for those reasons. Yep. Never thought of this team, but how about Denver? A team that's been knocking on the playoff door for a couple of years. It would be the Wolves waving the playoff white flag by giving yep. a star player to a team that they're trying to division rival that you're neck and neck with. Yeah. You know? uh, but Denver currently has an outstanding crop of trade assets, according to Hoops Hype. With multiple players who could be the focal point of a big-name trade for an all-star like Jimmy Butler. Players like Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. Love, okay. Gary Harris from Michigan State. Absolutely, for, I love Gary Harris. Just These are three-point snipers we're talking to. And Michael Porter Jr. would all make sense as centerpieces for Ooh. such a deal. But if you're Denver, once again, wouldn't you, if you think that you can get, get him maybe on the open market and or make a run at him? Denver would not be but able to get Jimmy but then, but then he's not going to stay there. So if you don't think he would he would sign there, they'd be able to keep they'd be able to resign they'd be able to resign him. Well, I get that, but I'm saying would he would he stay? resign there? He's well, ma- he's making it very clear that the extra money that that he could get by staying with his team is not going to be as important to him as his ultimate destination. Yeah, but but then again, when the Wolves traded for Jimmy Butler, we all knew the chances of him coming back after his contract's over are not super high. Now they're even lower than they were a year ago. So if you're Denver, you'd have to you'd have to be looking to make a big push forward this year, and then just kind of hope that he likes the area package, and he likes the team. That that is attractive if you could get that. I don't know it, if I'm Denver, I'd do it. Honestly, if you could get either Jamal Murray or Gary Harris straight up for Jimmy Butler, I would make that trade. All right, would you, Manny? Yeah, you throw in Will Barton in there too. Yeah, I'd do it. And I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yes. Uh, all right, here's the the fourth one on this hoops hype list. Mm-hmm. This is this is the definition of. <laughs> Reckless speculation. Philadelphia. The 76ers have promising players on their rookie deals who could prove to be interesting trade chips. A guy like Dario Saric uh, had a breakout sophomore campaign and still has untapped upside. 
that may be unlocked in a different team situation, although probably not under Tom Thibodeau. Let's be honest. <laughs> going to say, how well is that going to work? Yep. If not Saric, how about Markel Fultz, the number one overall pick, who really oh, boy. didn't do a whole lot? Yeah, he's... Uh, he's still got some shooting problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he had an injury last, last <laughs> summer no and just, like, came in and couldn't hit a shot, and then he got hurt again, and, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. But former number one overall pick, you could have three <laughs> yeah. number one overall picks on your team at the same time. It'd be great. Uh, and then the fifth one, and this is where now that this apparent meeting today is is happening in Los Angeles, this is what I would attempt to do. If I'm Tom Thibodeau, I don't fly back with Jimmy Butler. I fly back with one of these two guys, the Lakers, and either Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma. If you could get one of those guys straight up for Jimmy Butler right now, just based on where things are at oh, yeah, between it, Butler and Cat. Yeah. Yes, you do it. And you you definitely would take a, a short-term step back in the Western Conference, but if you could pair Brandon Ingram with Carl Anthony Towns and you'd have to figure out the Andrew Wiggins thing and that contract kicking in, but, uh, but you know, we've brought this up on our show, Manny. I did a hit two months ago, or when I, the baseball trade deadline, so a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, with Mason and Ireland on ESPN LA, and John Ireland, the voice of the Lakers. Yep. And I said, we took a Brian Dozier conversation, and I said, okay, that's great on Brian Dozier. I want to ask you guys questions about Jimmy Butler and the Lakers. And they said, let's do it. I said, if the Wolves picked up the phone and said, hey, we'll give you Jimmy Butler, and we just want one of either one of these two guys, and maybe a second-round pick or something, would you trade Ingram or Kuzma straight up for Butler? And John Ireland said... They wouldn't hang up, but it makes more sense for the Lakers with a max cap spot available next summer to keep those two young players and then add Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard to that collection in LeBron James and just be patient for a year. But I think you have to call him at this point. There's six, it's six days until training camp and look, and look at all this stuff. Where would he stay? Lakers, definitely. Like yeah. if, if you made that trade, he's staying there. Denver, I think definitely not. Yeah. Um, the, the, I think the, Denver it would depend on how the season goes. If they get if if they if Denver gets Jimmy Butler and they make a run, they, they're definitely a playoff team. And then they make a run to you know maybe they get to the Western Conference Finals. I could see him staying there. Hmm. I could see him staying there. The Knicks and the Nets depend entirely on what else they could bring in. And I what mean, Kyrie's if Kyrie does, yeah, if Kyrie decides or Kawhi that, decides, that's the weird thing here. This conversation sort of revolves around not necessarily teams, but his buddies. Yeah, go out east with Kyrie, which could be Knicks or Nets, or go west with LeBron. So it sort of revolves around what are Jimmy's guys saying. Which is where this is a really, this is, in so many ways, if you're the Wolves, so dysfunctional or right if, now. Or if you get into a situation where Jimmy wants to trade him and Kyrie are buddies, do you call Danny Ainge hmm. and see if he'll give up one of Jason Tatum and or, and or uh, Jalen Brown? Reckless speculation! Welcome to Club, man. How does it feel, Manny? Welcome to the club. I know. You just joined. Manny's got a big, goofy, reckless speculation grin on his face right now. Just, just loves this. Jumped right in. I'd uh, take either one of those guys. I, uh, I love Jalen Brown. I heard third hand. I'll just float this third third hand. There's so, there's so many great people reporting on this. Wolves, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns stuff. Johnny K's got great stuff on this. And Woj is dropping little Woj grenades all over the place. I heard the situation between Butler and Carl Anthony Towns as of right now is close to unrepairable. That 
a lot of work needs to be done just for those two guys to coexist at practice next week. Because camp starts, uh, what, on Monday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. Media day on Monday. Why are we, um, the question I have is, why is this all just starting to unfold now? What which part of it the the meeting? Why didn't oh. we have? And as far as I know, Cat's not e- even involved. This is just going to be Tibbs going out to see his guy Butler, who I assume he talks to on the phone. Why are we one week away from the start of training camp and just starting to take these steps now? If if things are in the disrepair that you're talking about, this doesn't seem to me to be a week. A week gets it done. This seems like a month gets, you know, the repair has to happen. You're asking a lot of really good rhetorical questions. I mean, yeah, that's right. Like, what the I hell? Just, what is this? This is ridiculous. Well, but it's not surprising because it's the Timberwolves. And by the way, this ultimately Glenn Taylor putting a guy in charge of the entire organization who cares only about X's and O's, really, and and, yeah. and cares zero about creating an environment and a culture where everyone can thrive and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is... This is giving too much cultural power to a guy who just wants to sit in a room and be a sociopath. Basically. Isn't, it, isn't it amazing, though, that two years ago when Tom Thibodeau was hired and, you know, I had just speaking for myself, I had reservations just because of how everything went in Chicago. And we knew about the oh he plays the starters too much. And, you know, the, the defense the defense a little outdated, all this other stuff, getting along with people, all of that stuff. But I thought, okay, he took a year off, went to visit like the Rockets and the Warriors and the Spurs and the Celtics, and he just went all over the country visiting all these different teams. And it's like you look at we're two years into this thing, and nothing has changed with him. No, including nothing, including Bulls on the roster. Yeah, nothing <laughs> has changed. Yeah. Um, so we, I don't know, we'll keep an eye on this and we'll see if any news comes out from that meeting in Los Angeles today. Mike Golick Jr. in about 15 minutes and a pecking order when we come back. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. 419 here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Quick look at your traffic. If you're heading southbound on 280, there is a stalled vehicle there near Lauderdale. Just uh, It's got a lane blocked, so be on the lookout for that if you are headed southbound on Highway 280. Rise and shine, football fans. Dig out the meat and potatoes because it's time for Maggie and Judd's pigskin pecking order. Yes. We got Mike Goley Jr. coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. So let's fly through our week, heading into week three, Pigskin Packing World. Let's start with Manny. Manny's uh, making his second week appearance here on the Pigskin Packing Order. Yes. yes. All right. Uh, so we'll start with number 10, uh, down three spots from the seven spot last week, the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is banged up. Played fairly well on a, on a bum knee last week, but... Uh, yeah, they're down a few spots after tying with the Vikings and kind of blowing that game if you really think about it. Uh, number nine, down a spot from last week, the New Orleans Saints. They rebounded and got a win over the Cleveland Browns, but it was kind of ugly. Uh, down six spots at number eight, the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. They, got, they got waxed by Tampa Bay uh, this past Sunday, so they're down a few spots. Mm. And at number seven, 
Jumping into the top 10 for the first time for me is the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number six, down from number one last week, the New England Patriots. They did not look very good against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Uh, number five, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're in the top 10 for the first time. The Bengals are off to a 2-0 start. They're looking good. I got the Kansas City Chiefs up one spot from last week at number four. Patrick Mahomes looks fantastic. Yes, he does. Our Minnesota Vikings have bumped up a spot to number three with uh, Kirk Cousins' fantastic second-half performance on Sunday. Number two, uh, up four spots from last week, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They took care of New England. They look fantastic. Blake Bortles is actually playing well right now, so good for them. (laughs) And uh, number one, Sean McVay's L.A. Rams. They are loaded. They are playing well. And uh, they are my uh, number one on my pecking order right now, gentlemen. All right. I'll fly through mine here. Where do the Vikings land? I'll let you know in a moment. Because the Tampa Bay Bucks have jumped in. I'm going I'm to reward the Tampa Bay right there. Yes. I'm going to reward the Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't know if I see them sustaining this throughout the course of the season, but because uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick will do this for eight weeks, 10 weeks, and then he'll give you. Six weeks of just absolute garbage, multi-interception <laughs> games. Yes. So that's definitely on the horizon at some point. But for now, from unranked to number 10, a tip of the cap to the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Cincinnati Bengals have jumped in. Sort of an afterthought going into the year. I don't know if, if you're polling people, like, what do you think about the AFC playoff landscape as you look ahead? And I, I think a lot of people would have named Patriots, Steelers, Chargers, maybe Ravens, and a bunch of other teams uh, before you get to the Bengals, but they've looked really good through two weeks, so they're number nine on my list. Uh, I've got, I, the Saints have looked really rough, but this is the first time in about four years they haven't started 0-2, so they're ahead of their usual curve, the Saints, despite an ugly win that, that required a missed field goal again by the Browns. I'm going to put the Saints... The Browns were eight. good at that, just like the Vikings on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to give the Saints one more week to to figure their bleep out. Yep. Uh, the, so I've got the Jaguars seventh, because I'm still not buying all of their stock. I'm a little lower on the Jaguars than than Manny is. They are up from eight, and they pounded the Patriots. But I, I'm I'm going to be careful about <laughs> the Blake Bortles stocks all not, in. Yeah, yeah I can. Okay, I, I just I need to see more from that offense and Blake Bortles. So, but they're still seventh on the list. Uh, Aaron Rodgers holds steady at number six on the list. Just Aaron Rodgers, not the Packers, because <laughs> he was magnificent on one leg for the most part in that game against the Vikings. Number five, down from three last week. The Patriots and their annual sluggish early season start, or is it signs of erosion? I, I, I'm gonna, well, give it a few weeks to. We'll find play out, out now. They got Josh Gordon on board. Yeah, chances of him actually playing in a game, Josh Gordon, in one game. Yeah, I think like just getting into one game. Very good. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in no games and gets cut in two weeks for missing a practice or something. I think he'll play in one game, but, but I believe that there's a decent chance he, he gets suspended again before mm-hmm. the next like month is up. Uh, another team, I'm not going to overreact too much. It was it was a dog performance. I'm going to put the Eagles at four, down from two. Uh-huh. They, they, they deserve some benefit of the doubt, so I'm going to keep them in the top five. Number three, best offense in the NFL right now, and maybe the most fun quarterback to watch in Patrick Mahomes. Chiefs number three. Vikings up from three to two Ooh. because they fixed their glitch. If they had Dan Bailey kicking in that game against the Packers, they win the game, and we would have said, wow, the Vikings went into Lambeau Field, and Kirk Cousins stuck it to Green Bay in the fourth quarter. So 
Uh, if they would have kept Daniel Carlson on their roster for another day, I would have had them lower. But they fixed their glitch, so they're up to number two. And number one, I agree with Manny, the Rams. Up from four. Yep. The Rams look incredible early on. Judd? All right. Uh, dropping out for me is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who look absolutely awful. Just missing for me, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, and the Miami Dolphins, who are all 2-0. and My number 10 team, Case Keenum and the Denver Broncos. Mm. 2-0, and and uh, Case brought him back against the Raiders on Sunday. Looked pretty good doing it. My number nine team dropping from sixth, but I refuse to drop them out because I do believe that this is a hiccup and not an actual glitch with them. The New Orleans Saints. Number eight down one spot, but they beat Carolina 31-24. The Atlanta Falcons at 1-1. One and one. Number seven up one spot, the Green Bay Packers. 1-0-1. Oh, Put the Packers at seven. Number six, going up from the ninth position last week, Jacksonville, 2-0. and But I don't trust Blake Bortles to save my... I, there's no way. They're, they're going to have to be in the Super Bowl before I actually admit that he can quarterback a team to a championship. Number five, at 1-1, down from second last week after losing uh, to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Philadelphia Eagles. Number four, the Patriots, dropping from first to four for me. Number three, standing pat, the Minnesota Vikings. I'm with Manny Hill on this one. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs, up from fifth. Patrick Mahomes looks unbelievable. Six touchdown passes on Sunday, 10 and two games. Their defense is pretty leaky, but... And you, you know, know what? Andy Reid scheming and Pat Mahomes' arm. As a, games. as a Reid coach team, there's a very good chance that they get in the playoffs and get bounced, but I'm putting them at number two for now. And uh, I'm with both you guys. I didn't believe in this team to start the season because I thought that there might be some regression, but so far they look fantastic. Now, they did play Sam Bradford and the Cardinals and beat them 34 rip, and the Cardinals might be god awful, but up from fourth to first for me in uh, my pecking order. At 2-0 at the Los Angeles Rams, who the Vikings will play um, in their game after Buffalo on Thursday night. Man, that Buffalo. That's going to be fun. That game, that's going to be a slaughter fest, right? There's no way that that so, game. Did you hear us talking games. about Nance and Romo are going to yeah, be what? doing that game? <laughs> Let's, we should bring that up with Golic Jr. when we come back. So of all the what, what I've got the rest of their games is CBS. On the is it too. just a bunch of Mac college games on Sunday? <laughs> I know. Why, why is that the number one game? I know. I we'll take it. it. Hey, we'll take it. Get get some Tony Romo in our lives. Uh, one of our favorite guests, Mike Golick Jr., will join us when we come back. The football hour with Matthew Collar in the five and. Luke- are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Cousins, pressure, hit as he throws, going for Thielen, he's got it! Waiting for a single touchdown! Oh my! Actually, we should play We should play this Mike Zimmer clip for Golig Jr. Hi, Golig Jr. Hey guys, how you doing? What's, What's happening? So, uh, it didn't take the Vikings long to rectify their kicker glitch. They uh, they fired their kicker yesterday, and then they brought in Dan Bailey. That's Dan Bailey is it's official now, Judd. Yes. Okay. Yes, they brought him in. So, today. but before that, before the the Dan Bailey thing, uh, Mike Zimmer was asked this series of questions at the press conference about the decision to cut Daniel Carlson. What went into the decision today to let Daniel Carlson go? Did you see the game? <laughs> was it was it an easy decision? Yeah, pretty easy. Yeah. We love an honest coach here. There's not many honest coaches, and Mike Zimmer is one of them, Golick. 
He really is. Mike Zimmer after this clearly to me strikes me as a text message breakup guy, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't have time to waste <laughs> in these situations. It's no nonsense. It's completely devoid of emotion. And in this situation, it's kind of the same reaction all the fans had, right? Whether we were watching in Cleveland or Minnesota, you kind of figured the writing was on the wall in these situations, even more so for Minnesota because, A, they've dealt with kicking woes before that have halted a season that otherwise looked promising. And, B, this is a win-now team, man. They're going all in, so kicking shouldn't be the exception. As a guy who played this game himself, Golick Jr., explain to me what the feeling is when you bust your ass all day long. In your case, Saturdays. You busted your butt. You were going against a guy constantly. It was a physical game. You were probably worn out. And a guy comes in, a skinny guy with his foot. And he doesn't miss in this case of Carlson once, twice. He misses three times. The Vikings on Sunday said all the right things, but privately, you've got to be livid. Oh, yeah. Listen, there's a massive amount of frustration in that. and A lot of that goes off the trust you built or haven't built in practice. Like, if you have a picker that you've come to rely on in a number of situations in practice and games past where you've got that body of work to trust and say, all right, this guy had a bad day like everybody else, you can be a little more understanding, but... It's a different lifestyle for these kickers. You look over on them on the other practice field while you're over in one-on-one. See, that's really where the difference and the resentment can come from is in practice. Like you're doing one-on-ones and inside runs, and they're over there just snapping and kicking, doing this thing that you figure should be automatic. And I don't mean to discount the pressure that comes with that, but at the same time you have a harder time explaining that to another group of guys when, you know, I can remember in practice, that comes up when all of a sudden you're in the middle of the dog days of training camp and they line it up and they say, all right, this kick, if he makes it, you guys don't have to run after practice. And they give him two or three chances if they miss the first one. And if the kicker misses all three of those chances, you're all, again, saying the right things and pat him on the back. And then you're cursing him out under your breath while you go over and get on the end line and get ready to throw up. So, Golik, what's, what's your feeling on ties? Because we've seen two of them now already around the league in the first two weeks of the season. We had the Steelers and Browns in week one, and then, of course, the Vikings and Packers uh, this past Sunday. What's your feeling on ties in the league? Uh, listen, from a league-wide standpoint, like, do I think ties are somehow bad for football? Uh, no, I, I think it's an outcome we get so few times. Now, we just happen to have gotten it back-to-back weeks to start the season, which makes it seem like more of an issue. But I don't have an issue with ties inherently, especially at the NFL. These guys, I mean, you know, we talk about college overtimes. I've seen people caping for that as a thing that the NFL should do. you got 53-man rosters that get dressed down to, what, 46, 47 on game day. You don't got time to be out there all night finding a winner. Now, as a player standpoint, it's just one of those things you don't know how to feel. You're sort of numb, right? You walk off the field and you assess the damage like you would any other day, but there's no highs, lows. You really don't know how to feel in those situations. So from that standpoint, you just sort of move on and get on to the next game as quickly as you can. Yeah. I'm wondering if your Browns, if it's possible, they can go 0-16 with 16 heartbreakers, where it's like every one of the 16 goes down to the wire in the fourth quarter and they lose them all that way. It would be the most Browns thing possible, right? Like, after they gave us all that entertainment in the preseason that we all lapped up during hard knocks, that now it would be followed up with (laughs) the most entertaining version of still being the Browns possible, right? 
they're the one team that makes me buy into that cliche that you don't know how to win. Like, to some extent, that does hold true with a team like the Browns who can get into pressure-packed situations down at the end of the game and not have the mental bandwidth in those spots to not have the collection of, all right, we've been here before and accomplished in that setting to get through in those spots, right? Like you mentioned, I've played plenty of games at Notre Dame where early in my tenure there, really till my last year, we weren't able to get over the hump in close games because whenever things got going in the wrong direction, it was to a man. You can talk to a lot of the guys I was on the team with then. You would get in a close situation where we had been up and the other team starts to creep back in, where you get into the fourth quarter and all of a sudden one thing goes wrong and it's here we go again. And I guarantee for a lot of the Browns right now, coaching staff included with Hugh Jackson, there's a lot of here we go again down the stretch of some of these games. Yeah, by the way, that was mean of me to assign the Browns to you like that, like calling them your Browns. But, but I, don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm assigning a team that has won one game in, in like three years to you, but they're, they're your Browns now apparently. <laughs> hey, listen, I've taped for them enough during hard knocks and watched enough of that. And certainly, I li- I've been pounding the Browns drum saying this is a team that can win seven, eight games this season. And so far through two games, we're on a poor trajectory, but I had them slotted for week three as their first win anyway. Now, the Jets team that they're getting ready to face looks a little bit better than I planned on at the time, so i got to deal with that accordingly. So, Golik, how do we get to a place where the roughing the passer calls uh, don't become a story on a weekly basis? There was the two calls, especially the one on Clay in the Vikings game, and I saw a statistic today that we have had now through two weeks, 21 roughing the passer penalties. In 2017, it took us four weeks to get there. Jesus. Yeah, so you clearly seen the emphasis here, and yeah. I saw, I think it was Dean Blandino or someone that said we all went into this season thinking the lowering the helmet penalty was going to be the story, and we got that out of the way during the preseason, and now this is clearly taken its place, and I think it's twofold. One, I think officials have to get better, but number two, the NFL's got to emphasize the right places, and I thought that was the biggest missed opportunity in this Clay Matthews incident because we saw they said they're doubling down and they're going to put it on the teach tape and show why that's wrong. Clay Matthews went out of his way in that moment to tackle Kirk Cousins the way the NFL wants. You could see him leaning his helmet out of the tackle. He's not making it. He's making an effort to not hit the quarterback too high above the shoulders, too low below the knees. He's getting right into that sweet spot. He doesn't land on him with any discernible amount of force. The NFL had a chance to hold this moment up and say, this is what we've been trying to work out of football, and it's working. These players are listening and reacting. And instead, because of uh, some weird attachment to the letter of the law in this rule as opposed to something that can help make it better, they punted on that opportunity. So uh, apparently we're going to have to rely on officials just getting used to seeing this in real time more unless they're going to use video replay to take it out of their hands. I know Joe Thomas floated that idea on Twitter and there could be some merit to it, but it doesn't seem like a place the NFL is willing to explore yet as with both of these rules, they just kind of seem to have drawn it up in the dirt and are going week by week with how they evaluate and assess. So Junior, as a man who back in his day has experienced tangoing in the trenches with 250 to 300 pound grown men, explain to me how it's, if, if you're if you're a defensive player looking to tackle a quarterback, and I get the quarterbacks aren't the biggest dudes, but there's some guys like Cam Newton in the league and Ben Roethlisberger who are 250 pounds and tough to take down. How are you supposed to not scoop and drop a guy like that without some of your body falling on top of him? I'm like, I'm struggling to understand the science behind what the NFL is asking players to do. 
Yeah, I mean, really, it's asking you, I think, to take bigger gambles as a defensive player right now. Some guys, we see it ends up working well for them because, uh, honestly, my first thought was, man, you're going to have to have guys basically just try and go for a strip sack every time, right? Because you can't hit these guys full bore anymore. And if you're Khalil Mack and Von Miller and you make your living on edges already, working around, working from the blind side of these quarterbacks, where that's a little more likely for you. You've just got more tickets to the party when you're around the quarterback as much as they are, then maybe it works. But for everyone else right now, uh, listen, if I was blocking a defensive lineman, you'd almost feel bad for these guys. And that's saying a lot because I never felt bad for those cheaters any day. But in this situation, <laughs> it's such a difficult prospect for these guys that you, at this point, got to almost get creative in the way you go about teaching it. You know, I don't know if it's trying to teach it to where you're really rolling to the side when you make a hit on the quarterback to emphasize I'm going out of my way to not land on him, but it's just so much reprogramming on the fly that I'm really not envious of the position these guys are in. Golik, you mentioned Khalil Mack just now, and he had another monster performance last night against a putrid and beat-up Seattle Seahawks offensive line. Are the Raiders going to look back on this and really regret trading him away? Because he has been fantastic these first two games for Chicago. Yeah, I think so. And listen, it's not just that. It's going to stand out even more because we knew the Raiders' defense around Khalil Mack wasn't just average. It was bad, right? Like, they were devoid of talent. So that's going to look even worse because you subtracted from something that couldn't afford any more subtraction. I mean, I heard P.J. Hall or Hill or some guy I'd never heard from come out of John Gruden's mouth to say, hopefully we get more production out of him. I'm that guy. I'm looking at my coach like, you're really going to put me up against Khalil Mack and expect me to fill that void. So, yeah, they're absolutely going to regret it. But the thing is, if Derek Carr steps up and starts playing better, he can bail John Gruden out of any real blowback on this. But so far we've seen that that offense not able to, you know, took a step forward certainly in this last game, getting the ball back to receivers. Amari Cooper decided to jump off the milk carton and back onto the field as someone we can finally spot in existence again. But I don't see any way the Raiders don't regret this because – Khalil Mack is just that kind of player. There are so many of those dudes walking the earth at any given time, and you let one of them walk out the door. Okay, put on your TV hat for a second and explain something to me about the programming on CBS on Sunday, Mike Golick Jr. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, their number one team, have been assigned to the Vikings-Bills game in which the Vikings are playing at home and are 17-point favorites they have you you seen the other options though they they also have they also have cincinnati at carolina denver at baltimore oakland at miami tennessee at jacksonville and then a three o'clock chargers at rams how do nance and romo end up in a game that's going to be a 21 point blowout i don't know but listen for you guys treat it as a gift right if you get tony romo on the broadcast that's a blessing as far as i'm concerned because he's going to find a way to make it entertaining i mean this guy is just the top he has been uh, my go-to source like listen for most instances and i'm someone who now is fortunate to get to call games on the college end of things there are very few must listens in the booth we're all trying to do a good job painting a picture, creating an atmosphere, explaining some parts of the game, some nuances in a way that people can understand and take with them and use as a bar at a parlor trick almost. Tony Romo is someone that just by nature of being him and being so knowledgeable and so raw 
actually became must-listen for me last season. So enjoy that gift. It doesn't make any sense to me because you're right, the game should be a non-compete, but you don't ask when someone hands you something that you love, and so I just encourage you guys to hold on tight. Have we put, have, have we, I know Tony Romo has, has played a, a competitive golf. Have we put Tony Romo in a golf broadcast booth yet? Has he, has he ever been able to interrupt Jim Nance in a golf broadcast booth yet? I don't... No, no, but we did something even better. So you remember one of those tournaments that Tony was playing in last year. I forget if it was a pro-am or one of his ventures on there, but I remember, guys, it was – you never see someone peak all that often. I saw Tony Romo peak because he hit a bunker shot, walked out of the bunker, pulled the mic off the back of his belt loop, and then began talking to Jim Nance in the booth. It was I, like, I, almost, I almost shed a tear because I knew in that moment that Tony Romo would never do better than that, that that would be the best ever, that he had arrived at the place he had always dreamed of, combining his two worlds of playing golf, hitting and interrupting Jim Nance in the booth. It was glorious. In interrupting Jim Nance in hushed tones oh, on, the, on the web.com tour. Oh. Oh, it's Tony. Jim Nance. And Tony Romo. Oh, I don't know, Jim. I don't know about that last shadow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim, I don't know about the five iron there. Oh, I don't know if I take a five iron, Jim. Oh, man. All right, Junior. We'll catch you next See week. See ya. Bye. Thanks, Golik. Hey, thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs> My Golik Jr. Find him early in the mornings. He's got his own show from 3 to 5 a.m. on our station. And then uh, part of Golik and Wingo, too. Oh, Jim, I don't know about the sandwich here. Oh, God. Oh, man. All right, Mackie and Judd. Also, when we come back, we're going to get to the, the football hour with Matthew Collar and the Five, but we have Dan Bailey contract information out, and it tells an interesting story about him choosing the Vikings compared to some of the other options he had. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Traffic brought to you by It's Just Lunch, 394 eastbound. We have a crash near Highway 100 in Golden Valley, slowing things down by about three minutes, so be on the lookout for that. 494 westbound. We have a crash uh, slowing things down by six minutes. That's between France and Highway 100 in Bloomington. Here is a 54-yard drive. Bailey, what a weapon. And, and, and now he's the Vikings. According to Ian Rappaport, who has the contract details, a one-year deal worth $2 million, and he turned down several offers that were for double the money on multi-year <laughs> contracts. He wanted the right fit and believes he found it with the Vikings. The highest paid kickers, so he's making $2 million. The six highest paid kickers in the NFL all make between 4 and 4.3. That would be Goskowski with the Patriots, uh, Graham Gano with the Panthers, Chris Boswell with the Steelers, Justin Tucker, Mason Crosby, and Ryan Suckup. And Matt Prater makes just under $4 million. So, yeah, But Dan Bailey statistically is among those guys, if not to the no top doubt, of that list, right? No doubt Cleveland called, right? Had, uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, Dan, it's the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. We'll give you $30 million. I I'm can't, good. I, uh, no, <laughs> no, my phone just cut out. Sorry, guys, it's bye. A, it's a no for me, dog. Yeah. No. <laughs> Do you think he says dog? Uh, a little pitchy. You think Dan <laughs> Bailey little says pitchy dog? dog. Probably little, not. little pitchy. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank, say no to the dog pound. Thank you very much. I have no interest in kicking for the Cleveland Browns and Hugh Jackson. Uh, so, I don't know. That's, that's why in our packing order, 
I got the Vikings number two still because they fixed the problem that was going to derail them and, and could have derailed them more if they would have lost that game. They at least salvage a tie. But now that they fixed it, I don't know. Like what the number three receiver? Okay, they're working on it. They just got rid of the other problem from that game, aside from Laquan Treble, was Stacey Coley dropping a pass and maybe running a wrong route somewhere in there yep. too. And he's off the roster now. So they're fixing glitches one by one here. Tom Johnson comes back too, which is going to make our guy Collar very happy because now he can again get explanations about three techniques and defensive tackle assignments and all of okay, those go things. Ahead. Turn your microphone. That Matthew on. Collar has missed some. Just turn Matthew, your, go ahead. Turn your Matthew microphone. Collar was pining for this move Football. as we were driving to Green Bay on Saturday. He's like, Tom Johnson just got cut. I I think they might bring him back. There was a Tom Johnson-sized hole in my football heart, and now it's full. <laughs> He's not kidding. No. This I'm is, just trying, put, trying to put a visual on that right yeah. there. Well, yeah. just think Tom about it. Johnson the, size the hole. heart is a football. Yep. And then there's like an outline of where Tom Johnson is. This Come on! Football! I don't think that's that hard to follow. I think you're you sti- a big heart, the Matthew. stitches were missing from your football heart. Yeah, that's basically it. And they're back it. now and that Tom Johnson has woven them back into your heart. Tom Johnson is not only a really underrated player. I mean, he was playing 68% of snaps on the best defense in the NFL and was consistently creating pressure. But since he didn't have huge sack numbers, he really kind of went under the radar. Plus, they have pro bowlers at every level. So it's easy to miss how much he stepped up to the plate last year when he got a bigger Mm -hmm. assignment. And the other thing is, as a person, he makes everybody better around him. He's always helping everyone in that room. He's helping the younger players, the offensive linemen. He's challenging them on a daily basis. And when you ask him about something that's going on in the trenches, you see why they like him so much. He's a really bright guy. Mm -hmm. Is it true that you have a Tom uh, Johnson three-point stance silhouette tattoo on your upper left thigh? Uh, I'm not commenting on personal. You could be his agent I, without okay. without qu- without question. <laughs> I think Collar went to Spielman and said, "Rick, here's what you got to do. You got to sign Tom Johnson back." They wanted to bring him back, though. I mean, when he signed with Seattle, they had wanted to have him as part of the defensive line rotation. It was just that he felt he was going to get to start there. And then Seattle is a truck fire of an organization. They have no clue what's going Thank on. Thank you. I that called turned, that. I mean, that turned I called quick that, in the last couple of years, right? didn't it? I right? called that one though. They're going to get Russell Wilson killed, man. Yes, they will. That it's, game last night was unbelievable. That they can't protect him. John Schneider, his unwillingness to improve their old line. Is malpractice. And and how it's does stupid. Brian Schottenheimer keep getting jobs? That's what I don't understand. Almost everywhere he goes, he's bad, and yet he keeps getting hired because his last name is Schottenheimer. It's like Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan was a bad defensive coordinator for a really long time, and everyone kept hiring him. It just made no sense. And watching that last night, like this is a pathetic offense that Russell Wilson is having to work with here. They had like 90 yards by the third quarter. Is it is it more likely that Pete Carroll will be chewing gum feverishly on a, a pre or post game show next year, yes. or back to college? Yes, and and don't you pre love post game show th- or post game or booth? Yeah. yeah, it's so great how organizations flip from being genius to stupid in just the the that quick when they get all those great defensive players. Look how genius they are! They built this incredible team. Look at them, and then it all falls apart. Yeah. And you know, guys get old, and your defense isn't the same. But you lose coordinators, the, right? Exactly, but the, and. The, but they mismanaged it all too. It wasn't just that they lost 
lost players or guys got old. It was that they didn't replace anybody. Uh, the football hour is officially, this was like the football hour pregame show right here that you just got for the, the last appetizer. few minutes. Yes, but the, the real Mackie and Judd football hour is coming up when we come back. And uh, we can take calls too during this hour, 651-646-8255, whether your cable's out or not. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN.